All right, we're going to get into the Word. We have been in a teaching series called Moving Mountains as a part of our season of fasting and prayer. Uh, we want to have the faith. We want to have the power in our prayer that we could move mountains. Whatever obstacle stands in our way, God is bigger than the obstacle. Whatever difficulty we face, God is greater than the difficulty. And he has given us the authority and the power in prayer to move those mountains. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible to you, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting, right? And so as we fast, as we pray, we are going to be a mountain-moving church. We are going to see the miraculous. We're going to see God do great things. And so the first part of this series, uh, we looked at the purpose of prayer, that because we have a great calling, we need to have a great desperation for prayer. And if we've lost our passion to pray, it's probably because we've lost sight of our calling. And we're not living for something big enough. And then last week, we looked at our position in prayer, right? That we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Where is Christ seated? At the right hand of the throne of God. That means that in the spiritual, we are seated in the throne room of God. That means the moment we pray, our prayers are heard in the throne room. That means that when we pray, we're not praying from underneath spiritual authorities. We're praying from above spiritual authorities. We have the authority. We have the power because we have been seated with Christ. And then we introduce this concept of the divine council, which is probably new for most of us. It was actually an old Jewish teaching that the church has kind of lost sight of. But that in the throne room of God, we have been invited to sit on the council to discuss with God spiritual things in heaven that could take place on earth. And that's why when Jesus taught us to pray, he told us to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we want to take the perfect will of God in heaven and bring it to earth. And we do that through our prayer life. And so today is part three. We're going to continue with this idea. And, and, and with my alliteration in the P's, today's message is prayer by proxy. Now, I could have simply said intercessory prayer because that's what we're going to teach on. But, hey, we were in the P's, and proxy means pretty much the same thing. So we're going with prayer by proxy. So if you've got your notes with you, you can find your notes inside your bulletin that you got coming in. If you're on our digital campus, the notes are always attached to the video on our website, or they're always attached to the audio of the podcast as well. You can see in your notes, this is our big picture point today. We are called to the divine council to intercede on behalf of those who won't or can't pray for themselves yet. Right? We have been called to the divine council to intercede on behalf of those who either won't pray for themselves or can't pray for themselves yet. Just a couple of quick definitions in your notes. The word intercede means to meet or transact with one person in reference to another person. To meet or transact with one person in reference to another person. What does that mean? That means we're making transactions with God on behalf of others. That's what intercessory prayer is. We're making transactions with God on behalf of others. And the word proxy means the authority to represent somebody else. If you have been given proxy, you have been given the authority to represent somebody else. And so we're going to look at today that God has given us the authority to represent others. God has given us the authority to stand for others in the throne room of God, others who aren't there yet, 
but to stand for them and to bring their name and to make spiritual transactions on heaven that we could see God's perfect will done in their lives here on earth. All right, you guys with me on this? So my goal today is to motivate us, to inspire us to have a greater passion for intercessory prayer, to see that it's our responsibility, but it's also our great privilege to be able to pray for others. So let's take a look at this. First off, when we talk about intercession, we got to look at our high priest who is Jesus, right? And so we understand that Christ Jesus intercedes for us. Christ Jesus intercedes for us. In Hebrews chapter 7, and the entire book of Hebrews, which we just read a few months ago in our, in our Rooted Bible reading, the entire book of Hebrews, the purpose of it was to present Jesus as the high priest, right? The book was written to Jewish people, and Jewish people understood the concept of the high priest because they had had this concept since Moses had established the law. And so the book of Hebrews is showing that there is no need for a high priest anymore because Jesus is our high priest. And in Hebrews 7.25, this is one of the pictures of Jesus as our high priest. It says, therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So we know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And what is he doing there? He's making intercession for us. Well, what does that mean? Well, we know that the high priests, once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, and he would make atonement for us so that we could be right with God, right? That was the Old Testament, the Jewish law. Jesus is now our high priest. What does that mean? That means it's now Jesus who goes into the throne room, and it's his blood that makes atonement for us. That's a part of his intercession. See, we shouldn't see intercession simply as just prayer. Prayer is a part of intercession, but it's not the only part of it. I love this. I, I, I read this from a, an old Scottish theologian named William Milligan. And he wrote this book back in the 1800s on Jesus, our high priest. And this is what he wrote. He says, intercession is this. It's every act by which the son takes his own with him into the father's presence in order that whatever he himself enjoys in the communications of his father's love may be theirs also. So what I want you to see is that the intercession of Jesus for us is Jesus bringing us into the throne room of God and allowing us to experience all the goodness and all the love that the Son experiences with God the Father. We get to experience it too because Jesus brings us into it and makes it all available to us. That's this picture that Jesus intercedes for us. In Romans 8.34, it says, Who is the one who condemns us? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So we have this picture that Jesus intercedes for us. Well, who is the us? Well, in verse 33 of Romans 8, it's referring to God's elect, God's chosen people, the followers of Christ. In Hebrews 7.25, it says those who have drawn near to God through him. What does that mean? That means that Jesus is interceding for his followers. 
Those who have surrendered their lives to Christ, those who live for him, those who have been born again and transformed by the deposit of the Holy Spirit within us, Jesus intercedes for us. So if Jesus is interceding for the saved, the question then becomes, who is interceding for the lost? And you see, that's where our responsibility comes in. Jesus intercedes for us. Our responsibility is to intercede for the lost. You guys tracking with me on this? All right, so here's the thing. First off, there is no gift of intercession in the New Testament. I had a lot of times in church, people want to talk about, well, I'm an intercessor. I have the gift of intercession. That is not in the Bible. Why do I bring that up? Because when there's a gift of intercession, when there's a title of intercessor, that means it's somebody else's job. And I don't have the gift, so it's not my responsibility. Listen, that is not in the Bible. It is all of our responsibilities to be intercessors. It is our responsibility to intercede for the lost. What does that mean? Well, when the high priest would go into the most holy place to make atonement, the garments that he would wear, a part of the garments was that they had these shoulder pieces. And on the shoulder pieces, there was an onyx stone. So he had an onyx stone, one on each shoulder. And on, on one stone was six tribes of Israel, and on the other stone was six tribes of Israel. And then he also had this breastplate. And on the breastplate was 12 precious gems. And each of those precious gems represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So when the high priest would go into the most holy place, he would carry the people upon his shoulders. He would carry the people upon his hearts. And you see, that is our call. That is our picture of intercession, is that because we have been invited into the throne room of God, we have been given a seat at the table of the divine council, that we can carry people's names as a burden upon our shoulders, as a burden upon our hearts. We can carry their names into the presence of God to cry out for them, because in their lost condition, they cannot pray for themselves. And we can bring their names. We can bring spiritual transactions. And we can see people come to salvation. Come on, somebody should be hooting and hollering right now, all right? This is stuff to get excited about. So what I'd like to do today is I'd like to give you three pictures of intercessory prayer, three pictures to inspire you that this is our responsibility, and then we're going to put it into practice, right? We're going to pray together. So you can see in your notes, our first picture of intercession comes from Numbers chapter 16. And what is happening in Numbers chapter 16 is a rebellion has risen up against Moses as the leader of God's people. And so this man named Korah stirred up 250 others to rebel against Moses and say, Moses, why do you get to be the only one that hears from God? Moses, why do you get to be in charge of God's people? Well, that rebellion did not work out well for them. Because Korah and these 250 men, fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And then the other families who had joined them, the ground opened up right underneath their houses and swallowed them up completely. And everyone who was complicit in the rebellion died that day. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 41, when the rest of Israel is still grumbling because these men died. Verse 41, but on the next day, the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, you are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. 
It came about, however, when the congregation had assembled against Moses and Aaron, that they turned towards the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And then Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. Then they fell on their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put it in fire from the altar and lay incense on it. Then bring it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses had spoken and ran into the midst of the assembly. For behold, the plague had begun among the people. So he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. Listen to this. He took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. But those who died by the plague were 14,700 besides those who had died on account of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the doorway of the tent of meeting, for the plague had been checked. Think about this now. Apparently God's people didn't learn from watching these 250 men burn up that that it was not okay to stand against God. They continued to stand against God, and so God's wrath was poured out. His judgment was poured out, and it came in the form of a plague that struck the people. And Moses says to Aaron, I want you to get incense And I want you to burn this incense in a censer. And I want you to take this censer. And I want you to run out in the midst of the people. You see in the Bible, incense burning always represents prayer and worship going up to the Lord. You know, in the temple, in the holy place in the temple, there was an altar of incense where incense was to burn all day long. And one of the priest's job was to go into the holy place and to make sure that the incense was always burning, that the, the smoke was always rising to the Lord, that there was always prayer going up to God. And so Moses says to Aaron, take incense, and I want you to run out there and stand in the midst of the people. And so you can see in your notes, the picture I want you to have of intercession is standing in the midst of the plague. Standing in the midst of the plague. Now, When I read this, it strikes me that this was probably a terrifying plague, right? Now, the the, the pandemic that we're in right now with the the coronavirus, uh, it's one of those things where it happens slowly, right? If somebody gets sick, then they, they go to the hospital, and they're usually in the hospital for like a month before they pass away. And in fact, that's, that's part of the problem why people didn't take this seriously is because it didn't come on quickly, right? It didn't strike us as something terrifying until it was too late and the hospitals were full of people dying. This plague is different because what we read is that in a matter of a few minutes, 14,700 people died. In a matter of minutes. And I don't imagine they were dying pretty. I imagine there was a lot of screaming and wailing. And I don't know what it looked like. Did their bodies shrivel up? Right? I'm just imagining that this is like zombie movie level horrifying. Right? As people are dropping dead left and right. 
And Aaron had the courage to stand in the midst of the plague. The Bible says he stood between the living and the dead. He was not afraid to stand in that place because he knew he had the authority of the Lord. So listen, as intercessors, we are called to stand in the midst of the plague. We are called to stand in the face of darkness. We are called to make a stand between the living and the dead and to say the plague stops here. Right? That is our authority and our responsibility as followers of Christ. We can make the declaration. Right? We can stand and say, you know what? The plague does not touch our home. It has no right. It has to stop here. We can say, you know what? The plague cannot touch our church. It has to stop here. We can say, you know what? The plague doesn't get to touch our island. It has to stop here. We have that authority. Do we have the courage and the passion? to take up the censer of incense and to stand in the midst of the plague and say the plague stops here. That we could stand for our unsaved family members. We could stand for people that are lost in addiction. We could stand for those that are hurting and struggling without God in their lives. And we can say the plague is going to stop. You are not going to be marked amongst the dead. You are going to be called among the living. Come on, that is our call to intercession. Second picture I want to give you. Ezekiel chapter 22. This is actually tomorrow's rooted Bible reading. There's a little sneak preview for you before you read your Bible tomorrow. Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 30 and 31. Says, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. Thus I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their heads, declares the Lord God. If you know anything about the book of Ezekiel, you know that Ezekiel was already in exile, but he was prophesying the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem, that Babylon would come in and burn Jerusalem to the ground, and whatever survivors left would also be brought into exile in Babylon. And so Ezekiel here, for the whole first half of the book, in different creative ways and in different visions, is prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem. But in verse 30 here, God says he was searching for a man. If he could find just one man who would intercede, if he could find just one person who would cry out to God, God says, I wouldn't pour out my wrath. If just one person interceded, I would stop. But God says, I couldn't even find one. I couldn't find one intercessor. What was he looking for the intercessor to do? He was looking for the intercessor to stand in the gap. Other translations might say stand in the breach. What does it mean to stand in the gap? Well, the picture of a vulnerable city in those days was a city that had holes in its wall. Right, Because the walls were your greatest defensive barricade to keep enemy and invading armies out. But if you didn't care for the walls, the walls would begin to break down. There would be weak spots. There would be breaches in the wall. There would be holes where the enemy could easily invade. And so the picture that God is giving is he is looking for people to stand in the gap. He is looking for people who will stand where the wall has broken down. He's looking for people to stand where there is a hole in the wall that is allowing the enemy to in. And if we would stand in that hole, we would rebuild the wall and we would not allow the enemy into our lives. 
So God is looking for even just one person who will stand in the gap. Who will say, no, judgment doesn't have to come. God, we're going to cry out for your mercy. We're going to cry out for your grace. We are going to pray for the repentance upon our island. We're going to pray for repentance in our nation and in our world. We're going to stand for this. We need people who will stand in the gap and build up the wall. Gaps in the wall that have been caused by immorality. Gaps in the wall that have been caused by dabbling in spiritual things and pagan things that are not of the one true God. Gaps in the wall that have been caused by rejecting God and turning to our own ways. Gaps in the wall. Listen to this. The theologian L.E. Cooper said this. God's plan for reaching ungodly people and nations is still the same. He uses godly men and women to stand in the breaches in morality and spirituality and make the difference by calling the nation and individuals to repentance, to faith, to righteousness, and to commitment to God in Christ. So the second picture of intercessory prayer I want you to have today is I want you to have this picture that we have been called to stand in the gaps in the walls and say the enemy is not allowed in. And when we stand in that gap, we call for repentance. And when the people repent, the judgment of God doesn't have to come upon their lives. God's looking for even one. Could he find one that will stand in the gap? Will Jesus come and find us standing in the gap or will, like the disciples, he find us snoozing? And say, could you not stand with me even one hour? And the third picture I want to give you of intercession. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. And starting in verse 1. Now, Paul wrote 1 Timothy. He wrote this letter to his young disciple Timothy who was pastoring the church at Ephesus. And he wrote this letter to him. Because people were falling away from the faith. Because they were believing false teachings. They were allowing carnality and pagan sexuality to come into their lives. And it was causing them to fall away from the church and to fall away from the faith. And so Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage him, but to also strengthen him and give him guidance on what he needed to do to lead a church where people would stick and people wouldn't fall away. And so after the introduction of chapter 1, here in chapter 2, this is what Paul says, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And then if you skip down to verse 8, it says, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. I love this. First of all, Right, Timothy, if I'm going to give you the key ingredients that the church needs to make disciples that last, then first of all, the very first priority is I need prayers to start going up. I love what it says in the message translation. Can you put that up, Antonio? In the message translation, it says, the first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how for everyone you know. I love that. The first thing I want you to do is pray. 
I don't want it to be the third thing or the fifth thing. I don't want you to try a bunch of other strategies and then have prayer be your fallback. No, I want prayer to be the first thing you do. Pray every way you know how, right? It says entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving. This is just four different specific ways to discuss prayer. I want you to pray, and I want the church to make it the first priority. And if the church will make it the first priority, what will begin to happen is, first off, the church will begin to win the lost like never before. Right? He says it's God's will that all men would come to salvation. Therefore, I want you to pray for all men. Right? Paul said, I have become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. Right? And so if we would pray more, if we would get this picture of intercession in our lives, we would see more salvations. Also, we would make disciples that last. We would make disciples that last. We wouldn't see people come into the church and leave and come into the church and leave. We'd see people come into the church, experience transformation, and then stick with it for the long haul. And finally, we would have favor in our communities. Why? Because it says pray for all those in authority, pray for government leaders, pray for everybody that's in charge. Why? So that you can live a peaceful and godly life. And so we're supposed to pray for our government leaders. We're supposed to pray for the people that are in charge. We're supposed to pray, especially if we live in an environment where the government is... uh, is contrary to the church, where the government is against the church, where the government would want to oppress the church. We are to pray for our government leaders. And if we will do that, we will have favor in our community. And instead of people coming against us, instead of experiencing the oppression of the enemy, we're going to experience the favor of God. And instead of always scrapping and clawing just to hold our ground, we're going to advance ground because we have favor in the community. That is what happens when a church makes prayer its first priority. Let me have Sugi come up here, and Sugi's going to lay down some music for us as we press into prayer. Listen, we have been called to the divine council, and it is our responsibility on the divine council to carry the burden of people's names upon our shoulders and upon our hearts. Listen, if somebody is elected or appointed to a seat on a council, and the only thing they use their seat on the council for is their own personal benefits, what do we call that? Now, I know the, I know the cynical answer is sounds like governments. <laughs> sounds like all of our politicians. We call it corruption, right? If somebody uses their appointed seat on the council only for their own benefit, we call that corruption. Well, have we committed spiritual corruption by using our seat on the council only for our own benefit, to pray for our own wants, to bring our own lists, to say, God, bless me. As long as my family's taken care of, I'm okay. No, that's spiritual corruption. We have been called to our seat on the council to benefit those that we have been called to serve, those we've been called to minister to, those we have been called to reach with the gospel. I'm going to share just one quick story as we set up our prayer time today. My daughter, Hannah, she loves living here in the jungle. This is, she was just made for this. And uh, she loves the animals. She loves the jungle. She loves climbing trees. She loves doing crazy stuff. And so she loves going down to see the donkeys. 
And so she'll always ask, Dad, can I go see the donkeys? I say, yeah. I say, but if there's any strangers down there, because sometimes we have some shady people parked over there by the donkeys. I say, if there's any strangers there, come on back. She say, can I take some apples with me? Yeah, you can take some apples with you. Well, on Wednesday, she did that. I was working in the office. She came in and said, Dad, can I go see the donkeys? I said, yeah, sure. I didn't look and see what time it was. I just went back to work. Well, as I was wrapping up my work day, I walked over to the house, and I realized Hannah's bike wasn't there. She still wasn't home. And I couldn't remember how long it had been since she asked to go to the donkeys, but it had been a really long time. It felt like it had been too long. Like, she doesn't have a long attention span, so usually she moves on from stuff pretty quickly. And she hadn't come back yet. And in that moment, the paranoia set in. She's been gone too long. And then, you know, every worst nightmare races through your head, right? She fell in the creek. She crashed on her bike. You know, some sketchy person grabbed her when she was over there. And so I jumped in my car real quick, and I started driving to the donkeys. And I just started praying in that little 10-second drive from here to the donkeys. I just started praying, God, make sure my little girl's okay. Make sure my little girl's okay. And then I got there, and she was fine. She was petting the donkeys, and I freaked out for nothing. But then God spoke to me. And God said, Aaron, that 10 seconds right there, how passionately you just prayed for your daughter, He says, I need you to pray that passionately for everybody, every day. Everybody, every day. That's the kind of passion we need. And that is our call, to be intercessors upon the divine counsel, to make spiritual transactions for others so that God's will could work in their life and they can come to salvation. Then they can pray for themselves. But right now, they need somebody who will carry their burden for them. And we have been called to carry that burden. Amen. Come on, let's go to prayer right now.